Hey guys, Tony here. This is xjtalk.com, the talk show. Thank you for being here tonight. We um, had a little problem last week. The uh, the whole kit and caboodle was down, which is the, the PC. There's uh, several people out there that uh, podcast using Macintosh computers, and I'm sure they're relishing... Uh, and the I told you so about the PC problem. But I like Windows. I don't like the Mac. Bad news for Steve Jobs. I, I hear he is uh, no longer in charge of Apple. I think it's because of his health. He's been having reoccurring health problems here over the past several years. And I really hate that. Uh, he's a very young man. He's only a few years older than I am. Um, which I guess I hate more because it scares me. So as I uh, as we were going to do last week, we have an interview with uh, Steve Steve Howard, also known as 4.3 LXJ on XJTalk.com. He is one of the members, one of the moderators, and also to a big help to a lot of the the people on the site. So uh, we're going to find out a little bit about Steve tonight in that interview, and uh, then after the interview. We'll be able to talk with Steve and ask him a few questions. XJTalk.com show is brought to you by Jeepin Outfitters. From tow rigs to trail rigs to daily drivers, we'll get you outfitted. See all of what Jeeping Outfitters has to offer at JeepinOutfitters.com or call 972-221-5286. XJTalk.com. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. And before we start with uh, with the interview, I thought uh, I would play this uh, customized brand new song by Tom Rapp. If uh, if you don't recall, Tom Rapp did a, a wonderful Christmas song called Christmas Cheer. And we played that around Christmas time. And I think even after Christmas we played that because I liked it. And um, I have not had a chance to listen to this. Uh, I was fighting with... Um, with uh, some somebody or some people that were trying to take down the xjtalk.com site and uh, I just downloaded this uh, this custom brand new song from Tom Rapp uh, and by the way you can uh, find out more about Tom Rapp and download his songs and read his blog at tomrappshow.com tomrappshow.com uh, 
I'll have more on that a little bit later. So, let's play it. It's uh, called What a Jeep. That was good. <laughs> Keep in mind, that's the first time I've heard it. <laughs> that was really, really nice. I, I won't tell you the whole email back and forth that we, we, we did today. <laughs> but suffice it to say, <laughs> I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, I know Tom's stuff is good, but <laughs> he, he literally threw that together today <laughs> in, in about an hour. <laughs> so that, I thought that was very good. Yeah, I, I thought there was going to be some vocals to it, but his voice has been bothering him for the past uh, month or so. Allergies, I believe. So, um, And that very well may be, I have to double check with him. Uh, he may have misunderstood me because I've been trying to get him to do me a, a song for the show, uh, an actual xjtalk.com show song. And um, uh, I haven't been... Putting, haven't been pushing him about it and I sent him an email today and said hey you know shows today so uh, you know if you got a song and I'm thinking is there something I can promote for you and apparently he thought you know I'm hey I want my song <laughs> so I don't care it's it sounds great that was really good um, if you Tom if you're listening to this I see you're not in the uh, in the chat room but if when you're listening to this on the podcast thank you that was amazing just amazing Okay, let me, uh, actually, let me, I, I should have Steve here on the phone. Steve, let me see if I can uh, just check with you. I'm kind of concerned about the levels, make sure you can hear everything okay. So I'm going to bring you on 
Are you there, Steve? I am here. How's the uh, How's the sound there? No problem. Got it on speakerphone and uh, got the whole thing. Excellent. Okay, I'm going to put you back on mute, and we'll get back to the show. Thanks. Okay. Steve's listening on the phone. He um, he gets his internet um, in a, in a, a lot, in a, some sort of wireless deal. So instead of him listening to the show um, through his internet connection, which would really eat up his minutes, um, I called him up on the phone, and he can listen to it through the phone. I just wanted to make sure he was able to hear okay. So... Um, Let's see. Yeah, I think we uh, we'll go ahead and get to the interview right now. Hi guys, thanks for joining us today. We have Steve Howard, four point three LXJ from xjtalk.com on the phone with us today, and Steve has agreed to do an interview. Steve, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Tony. So uh, I already mentioned uh, that your name, uh, our member name on XJ Talk is 4.3 LXJ, and I I know the meaning of that, but some other uh, listeners may not. Where did that come from? Well, it came from the fact that I put a 4.3 liter Chevy in my Jeep uh, after the smog police got after me, and uh, I just didn't want to drive the thing to the crusher, so I stuck another motor in it. And, and the smog police are in California? Yes. Well, they're in other states, too. Uh, actually, I think it's more stringent in Arizona than it is here. That's interesting. But, uh, yeah, in Arizona, you have to uh, put your Jeep on a uh, dynamometer. And you do in, in some places in California, too. But uh, in the Phoenix area, uh, they dyno it and make sure you have all the right shift points and, and unless you've got full-time four-wheel drive. But if you don't... Uh, they make you stick it on the dyno. I think the <clears throat> Texas, the state of Texas uh, makes you do the dyno if it's a 95 or earlier. But if it has the OBD2, which on I believe is the 96 and later, you don't have to do the dyno. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, Well, that might not be state of Texas. It may just be Harris County. Uh, and I think that was actually pushed on us by the EPA. So... I know because my wife's Mustang is a 96 and my Jeep is a 98 and we're, we used to have a 95 Ford Aerostar and the Ford Aerostar had to be put on the, the dyno. So, yeah, I guess it's the government pushing things, <clears throat> the federal government pushing things that are causing us to have these issues. So the, the 4.3 um, is better smog-wise or? Um, well, I can buy parts for it. Uh, the 2.8 liter I had in it, I was satisfied with it. It got around good. It got 22 miles to a gallon. Uh, never got any worse than 17, and I was towing another Jeep with it at the time. And uh, uh, But I couldn't buy carburetor parts for it. Uh, California has a uh, computerized carburetor for those engines. I just couldn't get any. And I, nothing wrong with the motor. It ran fine. But... Uh, it wouldn't pass fog because I needed parts, and so kind of a I didn't want to drive it to the crusher. Kind of a catch-22. Yeah, well, it's one of those things you only have to keep parts for 10 years, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a shame, but I guess you've taken care of it that way. When you say uh, to the crusher, that's not something, is that literally what would have happened to the Jeep if you hadn't have swapped engines? That's literally what would have happened to it. They would have uh, had me drive it to a wrecking yard, surrender the title. And uh, 
then uh, uh, they they would have sold parts off of it and crushed the body. That must be a, a really wonderful place to live for people to put up with that. California, I mean. Well, there's ways to get around it. You just have to be a little smarter than the average bear. Um, what a lot of people don't know is, is that you can swap motors and things like that here, but you just have to be a little smarter about it. And uh, one of the things that you have to know is that you can go same year or newer, uh, and there's certain equipment you have to have with it that was on the original vehicle that the engine came out of, and uh, and it's a wise thing not to go too new because you end up having to transfer uh, uh, airbags and bumpers and stuff with it. So uh, kind of cut those mods off at, uh, at 95. Mm-hmm. So uh, I chose the 93 to 95 vintage because uh, uh, it's the engine I wanted, and it uh, has the most horsepower of uh, that uh, line of engines. What is the, the rated horsepower? Uh, it's 190, but I've got it up to about 230. Oh, that's nice. I bet you can feel that. Yeah, it, it does uh, 0 to 60 in about 8 seconds. That's not bad. That's yeah, that's about uh, a little over a second off of the rated uh, uh, time for a stock four liter. So, uh, are you a native Californian? Is that where you were born? Yeah, I was, but I I didn't spend all my life here. I went north right, right after I left home. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, and uh, we moved to Lake Tahoe when I was eleven, and that was a great place for a kid to grow up. Uh, I always had plenty of outdoors things to do. I was never bored. I hear it's a beautiful place. Oh, it is. It's great. Uh, uh, everywhere you go is a beautiful view. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went uh, when the ski season was on. I went skiing every day after school, and in the fall I was doing uh, football and whatever. And springtime I started hiking and fishing, and and uh, summertime I did a lot of hiking and fishing when I wasn't working, and and. Uh, you know, I used to go to the beach every day and uh, swim in the water, and, and the water's nice and clean. You can get your eyes under it, and they don't hurt. You can see for 100 feet underwater, and really nice place to swim. That reminds me of a place, a uh, church camp that I went to when I was probably about um, 11 or 12 years old, and it was out in West Texas. And that's the thing that stuck in my mind uh, until this day, was being able to, to swim in that uh, cold um and it was it was very hot, uh, especially in West Texas, summertime. But mm-hmm. that that stream was cold and absolutely clear. It was just like uh, to me heaven because I had never seen anything like that in Southeast Texas. Because you've got the the muddy water uh, right. in the rivers, you've got the uh, the water in Galveston, which is is nothing like Florida or, or things that I've heard about in the waters in Florida. So it was really nice. So I imagine that was very nice. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, being able to swim in some water <clears throat> that you were able to see and look around. Did you see any fish? I remember seeing fish. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah, um, we used to go out in a boat fishing and uh, trolling, and uh, the water would there would turn green, and you know, just like you drew a line, uh, would turn green at 100 feet, and it would turn blue at 150. Oh, wow. And, uh, and you could look down in 80 to 100 feet of water, and see fish swimming on the bottom. Of course, they were pretty good-sized fish, but you could see them. 
Yeah. Oh, man, that sounds really nice. I'd like to, uh, I wish I, I had a little more uh, money. I would love to go uh, see things like that firsthand and, of course, take the kids to see it as well. So you're very lucky to uh, have um, experienced that. Yeah, I was, and uh, also a great place to learn how to four-wheel, too. I bet. And I, I would imagine not a lot of people telling you uh, where you can go. No, not at that time. Uh, this this was, uh, I got my learner's permit in 65, and uh, before I got my license, uh, there was some, some other Jeepers in town. They had new CJ5s, new then, mm-hmm. and uh, with V6s in them, and and uh, they had uh, 11 by 15 aircraft tires on them, which was basically a, a 32-inch tire and <laughs> a high flotation. Right. Yeah. Hey, that was as big as it got in those days, 32 inches. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, I imagine uh, that was huge for uh, the time. They, they drug me along, and I had to drag my mother along because I only had a permit. And uh, we got with a big group and went from Reno to uh, Virginia City on a road and then after that, they asked me if I wanted to do some real wheeling, and we did. And we uh, took off from Virginia City. We didn't know where we were going. We just started out. And uh, we went from Virginia City to Carson City on no roads at all. It was just cross-country. And uh, they had to wait for me. I was a little slow in my little four-bagger and very skinny tires in that sandy soil. But, uh, but we got there. I bet you that was a blast. Oh, it was. I loved it. Great learning it, I experience. Was I mean, that? a great learning experience. If you can drive through that, you can drive in uh, heavy traffic. Yeah, yeah. Well, by the time I got my license uh, and took my driver's ed training in high school, which was mandatory at that time, uh, you know, they, they didn't have to teach me how to drive. I already knew. Yeah, that's a, I'm sure that was a big confidence builder, too, because you're doing things that a lot of people uh, either don't do or, or they are too timid to do. Yeah, well, driving instructor was a little surprised that I could uh, operate a clutch on a hill because uh, none of the driver red cars had clutches in them. I mean, automatics. Right. So, uh, so you had to learn how to drive a clutch, and, and uh, so he took me out once, and, and that was that. <laughs> Didn't have to go again. Yeah, it can be uh, it can be rather interesting. I don't know how people in San Francisco on the up and down hills do it. I mean, I know emergency brake, but still. Tell you what, uh, I I drove a Subaru with a clutch in it through that town, and I think I took ten thousand miles off of it. I know what you mean. My first car was a, a standard, but I didn't learn in a standard. I learned um, went to uh, the driver's ed thing at school. It, it wasn't the, everything was automatic, and boy, the some of the people that were learning to drive, they were just very timid about what they were doing and. I wasn't at all. I, I was having a blast. So, anyway. So, you've mentioned uh, growing up uh, in in the, the Tahoe region, you didn't mention any brothers or sisters. Were you an only child? Almost. I had a half-sister that was 20 years older than I am. Uh, I have a niece that's five weeks younger, so that means my mother and my sister were pregnant at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, I imagine they compared notes. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I never lived with her. Right. And, uh, never really got along with her anyway, so uh, I I can I probably only saw her a dozen times in my entire life, really. Well, that's so, that, that's interesting because my I have a half brother <clears throat> that was 18 years older than me, and I think uh, about the same time I was born, 
he was getting married and moving to Arkansas, and I never lived with him. Uh, he passed away last year, I believe, and we were never we were never close. Uh, he was primarily in Arkansas most of the time. He came down to visit on occasion, but uh, yeah, well, my my sister passed away too a long time back. Uh, I've outlived her by ten years now, so. Well, it's sad, but um, when I'm I'm not that old. But if you add eighteen to my to my age, it's uh, that is old. <laughs> you add eighteen to my age, it's even older. <laughs> so uh, I think I got this already. But your first off-road vehicle was a, a CJ. No, it was a uh, a forty-two Ford GPW. I have no idea. Well, it's forty-two World War Two Jeep. Oh, okay. Um, we uh, we bought a. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm not sure if we bought it or it was given to us. We had when I was growing up in Los Angeles, we had a friend who had been a major in the Air Force. I think he retired out of the Air Force. I'm not sure, but uh, uh, I think he was, he was of the age that he could have retired shortly after World War II. But anyway, he got a hold of a very nice base Jeep that uh, was a little bit unique in that it had a governor on it, and it had a special bump in the hood to allow it to be there. And uh, uh, it was it was just a pristine Jeep. And he died of a heart attack, and his widow sold or gave it to us. I'm not sure which. But anyway, it was in our garage, and once a year we would take that Jeep and go camping. Uh, at the uh, Bristlecone Pines, if you've ever heard of them. They're up out of uh, Bishop in the White Mountains. And uh, uh, so I developed an interest in Jeeps rather early, and then uh, eventually that Jeep became mine, and uh, I drove it to school and and uh, drove it in the snow and, and had a blast with it. So this would be the standard Jeep that you would see in uh, uh, World War II footage uh, and in movies and stuff with the folding window oh, yeah. and, and top speed yeah, of, we, top yeah, speed of 50 got miles it, an had hour. Yeah, had all the lights and everything on it. It was, it was pristine. But, I mean, they have like a top speed of 50 miles an hour, don't they? No, I could do 60 in it. <laughs> <laughs> you give me a long enough time, I could get it to 60. <laughs> We're going downhill. Right. <laughs> well, I bet you'd love to still have that Jeep now. Yeah, if if I could have it in its original condition, you bet. Because uh, right now, if if we had it, it would be quite valuable in that in that condition. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like that was a heck of a deal. That was almost uh, sounds like almost as good a deal as what I I got uh, when I was fourteen. My mom sold her nineteen sixty five Ford Mustang uh, red hardtop. Uh, to a neighbor, just two years before I started driving, she sold it for five hundred and fifty dollars, and she and, and they bought it new. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> so not as good as the as the Jeep, but um, you know, sixty five Mustang, golly. Oh yeah, yeah. I think she paid five thousand dollars for that thing, or fifty two hundred dollars in sixty five, which was a lot of money. But that was an expensive car because in sixty. 60- Nine, beginning of the model year, we bought a Ford Bronco for thirty-two hundred. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a snazzy vehicle, especially that color red. I think my 
the color of my Jeep is about the same red as what the that color on the Mustang was. Yes, they are. They're about <clears> the same. Mm-hmm. I remember those red Mustangs. Yep. And, uh, boy, 550 bucks. I mean, I, I, even at then, even at that time, it was... You could tell that it was something. It was something special. The Mustang of that year was something special because I think that would have been around seventy three, seventy four when she sold that. So she oh, had, gosh. she yeah. had it a good nine, nine, ten years. I'd have bought it for that. Oh, seventy three. Sure. Ten percent of the original, uh, the original price. <clears throat> sure. Well, I had five hundred bucks sitting around in seventy three. You bet. <laughs> so. Um, you had the uh, the original Jeep, uh, the original World War II Jeep. What was your next four-wheel drive? Uh, it was the Bronco, uh, the 69 Bronco. And uh, that's when I first started playing around with suspensions. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, lip kits at that point in time uh, in, in the end of the 60s and early 70s were almost non-existent for anything. Uh, you just sort of had to figure it out yourself. And uh, so I, I raised it up about an inch and a half, two inches, and that was as far as I could get. I put some other springs on the rear, welded in the spring perches and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Or I should say a, a friend of a friend did that for me, but I had it all figured out and right. everything. So that's what we did, and I put some extra coils on the front. And eventually I put... Uh, uh, I brazed to get this brazed because I didn't know how to weld yet. Um, some uh, uh, brackets on the front for uh, Gabriel racing shocks. That was the hot thing to do for those front ends at that time. And uh, and got around pretty good with it. Uh, I ran uh, 750-16 uh, Firestone Super All Tracks on it, which was about as good as you could get. 32 inches was it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I got around real well in the mud. I took it out uh, in the mud here up in uh, western Oregon where I was living at the time in the early 70s and uh, was going to school at Oregon State and uh, uh, eventually uh, dropped a 351 in it and uh, I wore the 302 out and uh, had a lot of fun in that vehicle. I bet. Uh, I heard. A, I remember the a lot of discussion about the 351s whenever I first started getting into um, the go the go fast cars. Uh, I always stuck with the small block Chevys, three fifty, three twenty seven. I had the two eighty three for a short period of time, but wanted the more cubes. I think that um, if I if I could now, I'd, I'd have the Jeep, of course, but I'd like to have a full size truck and a big block in it. I don't know if it would be a, a Chevrolet or a Dodge, but to have that big block torque and momentum to Turn the wheels and probably some nice forty-four inch oh, tires, you know. That, yeah, that's nice in a truck to have a big block. There's no doubt. I had a big block in my Dodge, and, uh, and it was nice. Yeah, it gets you uh, that momentum of, of the that turning mass. Really, you know, gives you the torque. Um, at least that's what I was always always told. <clears throat> yeah, it, it does. You can't make a small block do what a big block does. Right. But but a small block will sure wrap, uh, you know, will go up into the repetitions a lot quicker. But I don't know. Uh, and also too, I think I need something a little more stout. I have not been able to break the 4.0 yet, but I sure did break that 327. The 327 and the 350 both were were quite easy to break. Yeah, you can. 
my my opinion of the of the '60s and '70s uh, Chevy engines were that they go fast for a little while, but they don't last. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Yeah, without changing out the uh, the rear end or the transmission on my 72 Nova, I think I was doing 0 to 60 in 6.2 seconds. And and that was me measuring it with my digital watch. So I may have been yeah. off a little bit, but <clears throat> it was... Uh, Close enough. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun car. Uh, I'm sure I could have made it go a lot faster if I'd had more funds um, available to, to spend on it. So... Uh, when did you get the when did you get your first uh Jeep Cherokee and and how did that come about? Uh got my first uh Cherokee, the one I have now, was my first one. Um in I think it was 2000. Oh, I take it back. It wasn't the one I have now. I got the my first one in 2000. It was an 85. Uh I brought it down here to California and uh there's a shortcut I take up to Grass Valley where my kids live, and uh, there's a 15-mile-an-hour curve on that shortcut, and it's a 15-mile-an-hour curve. It's uh, and it's got canals on both sides and stuff, and uh, I was slowing down for it and, and did not make the curve because my brake pedal went to the floor. Oh, no. I shifted down into first and all that stuff, but I, I hit that doing probably 30 miles an hour, and I had set of swampers on, which are not really good tires on pavement anyway. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing just drifted right over, and I rolled it right into an irrigation ditch. Mm-hmm. Took out 30 feet of guardrail, and and uh, so uh, that uh, totaled it, <laughs> for sure. Although it was drivable, it was, but it was totaled. Right. Um, even after taking out the guardrail and uh, rolling into that, and the di- irrigation ditch was not a small ditch. It was something that would swallow several Cherokees stacked up. Um, uh, it would drive, and I could have driven it back up to Washington State where I was living at the time, but had a hole in the radiator, uh, and and I figured the cops would stop me somewhere along the line. Right. <laughs> driving, <laughs> driving a total vehicle. <laughs> just, so, like, just like smoking the Bandit. Son, what the hell are you driving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been it. <laughs> What did you do to that? <laughs> Are you running from running, running from a bank or? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Let me try, let me smell your breath. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But it drove straight. I mean, you know, it just looked like heck. Yeah, so, they're amazing vehicles. So I, uh, uh, I saw an ad here down here. I was visiting uh, and everything when this all happened. I saw an ad for. Uh, the one I have now, it was it was up for sale for sixteen hundred dollars, and it was an eighty six, just like I had an eighty six Laredo, seven eighty five Laredo, and uh, so uh, I went down to Sacramento to look at it, and, and the guy was kind of trying to pull a fast one on me, you know, he telling me how much money he put into it, new belts and hoses and all that stuff, you know, I said okay, fine, you know, and, and he didn't know how to turn a wrench, so he was hiring it all done, and so it was expensive. For oh my gosh, I bet. Yeah, well, yeah, he put like four hundred dollars into the thing, and just belts and hoses. And, and sure, and sure. Geez. You know. mm-hmm. But I noticed when I walked around the vehicle that the right rear wheel was was cocked back a little bit, and I go, "Hmm, broken center pin." I didn't say anything about it, but I knew what it was because I'd done that before. 
going down the road dog-legged. And uh, so uh, anyway, uh, he was willing to sell it cheap, so I was willing to buy it cheap and put another center pin in it. <laughs> so, so he wasn't point, he, he didn't point it out and and you no, didn't point no, it no. out <laughs> no he didn't point it out and i didn't mention it you know I, I was just gonna i thought hey this is pretty good price i'll take it and it was it had been towed behind a motorhome it was in excellent condition when i got it um it had a little bit of sun damage on some of the plastic because of where it had been sitting or whatever right just in one spot but uh, other than that you know it was shiny the upholstery was perfect and and it had like two hundred eighty five thousand on it, and uh, but it but the motor, you know, I looked at it and looked at the oil and all that stuff, and I figured it really had uh, about thirty thousand on it. The rest of it had just been drug around, right? So I thought, hey, you know, this is a great deal. Sure, sounds like it. I wonder yeah, how it was. I wonder how you broke that pin. I don't know. I. I you know, when I took it out, it was just kind of rusted. They do rust, you know, and they they never last forever. They will break. So, uh, you know, he might have hit a chuck hole or something. Who knows? I didn't care. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, know, I just, he didn't sound like, if, if he didn't turn a wrench, he doesn't sound like the off-road type. So I just was trying to think how he could uh, actually break one of those pins. I would, they seem to be fairly substantial, but, uh, you know, well, I don't they, know. Yeah, if they rust through, though, they'll go easy. Yeah, that makes sense. I've had him do that. So I guess know, he was. Did. I guess he was laughing because he he got one over on you. I imagine he did, but <laughs> uh, jokes on him, you know, because uh, I drove it up uh, to uh, get my trailer and haul my '85 back home, and uh, and it had a a uh, had a class two hitch on it already for me, which was nice, and uh, so. Uh, when I got it into my shop, I had a, uh, uh, a sky crane that I had made and I just picked it up with the sky crane and, and I had it all fixed in 20 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, it's almost as good as, uh, getting one cheap because the CPS, uh, uh, sensor went out and you just replace it and drive it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except it takes less time to change a center pin with a sky crane. Than it does oh, I bet. CPS. Yeah, I bet. So you went for another XJ because you were pulling parts off the rolled one, or you just were so taken by the XJ that for the price performance, you just you wanted to get another one? Well, it's what I needed at the time. Um, I was, uh, we were living up in Washington State on the east side, and uh, a lot of snow and ice and uh, in the wintertime. And also... Uh, uh, I always tried. I always tried to keep a functional, real four-wheel drive around someplace in my repertoire of vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we were living, sometimes it would flood, and there'd be water and mud going across the road, and uh, uh, a lot of cars were not up to that. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You know, it, I mean, the, when the the way they farmed around there, if it rained too much. Uh, it would just wash the soil off down to wherever the bottom of the disc was. And uh, so uh, there was a couple of times I drove my Subaru XT through there, and I had water up to the floorboards and so forth that I was crossing in mud and rocks and whatever. So uh, just tried to keep one of those around and uh, wanted, a, wanted a good snow vehicle, and that's why I bought it. I never really intended to uh, to wheel it hard when I got it. 
this had a, uh, just had a quick I had, qu- a, had a quick question about the snow. It's not okay. really not really in line with the interview, but why are open differentials better on ice and snow than you know a differential like a locker or something? Or or is or is that information correct? No, that that information is correct. Um, when uh, when you uh, have a small difference in tire inflation, tire tread, um, tires out of a different mold or whatever the situation is, the rolling diameter is affected. And just that small amount of rolling diameter uh, is enough to make a tire want to break loose. And then you, you throw in another variable, and that is when you go into a curve, the inside wheels travel slower than the outside. Mm-hmm. And if you have a locker, that locker wants to lock up that uh, that inside wheel. And so that inside wheel begins to spin, especially in the rear. You have a rear locker, mm-hmm. or if it's, you know, and, and if you have a front one, it's that way too. And so you really only have power going to two wheels, and they're trying to drag the other side along, and so they all break loose while you're doing that. And that's okay in the mud, you know, because you're going slow, and that's okay when you're when you're wheeling, you know, because you're going real slow. But if you're going 60 miles an hour into a curve, you don't want that. Right. Um, and and another thing is, is and what I do, and some people may argue, but uh, when when I'm in the snow, I'll drop air a little bit, and, and I'll run uh, 28 pounds in the front and 25 in the back. Or whatever pressure it takes to get a little bit more sidewall squish in the back. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea is that I have a larger, larger rolling diameter in the front. And I've found from doing a lot of wheeling that uh, a four-wheel drive will do much better in any kind of a situation if the front end is pulling. But if you're trying to push it with the back so it's plowing, you'd be amazed at, at how much less performance you get. So, and, so with that information, would you would you say that a front locker is better than a rear locker? Not necessarily on ice and snow, but just in general off roading. No, I wouldn't. I'm I'm a proponent of a rear locker, and, and that is because uh, once you start going up a hill, which is where you need more traction with your locker, generally, mm-hmm. um, the and the steeper the hill, the less traction you have with the front end anyway. Gotcha. Um, that if your locker is in the front, basically you're you're putting seventy uh, or eighty percent of your traction into an open differential, and that front locker doesn't do you that much good. So, right, uh, I got you. But any, but, but, but anyway, but getting, lockers getting front, back. I'm sorry, but lockers front and rear are still a good thing, no matter what. It's well, a, they are in in a in a in an off road situation. Yeah. Right. Okay. Anyway, going back to what you were saying. Well, what I was going to add was is that when you when you have a larger rolling diameter in the front uh when you go into a curve i don't know if you've ever noticed but your your front tires track outside of the back ones so what that means is is that your front has to turn faster than the rear unless something starts skidding or breaking loose and so what happens to a lot of people when they're in four-wheel drive is they'll head into a curve you know, like in town or, or even on the freeway, and and that back is tracking on the inside, and it wants to go slower 
in the front, and it will actually break loose, and the back end will whip around in a uh, slick situation. So by having the front pulling, then you compensate for that in a curve, and, and you don't break loose. Oh, interesting. So really, in uh, with open differentials uh, and in four-wheel drive, um, when you're in ice and snow, I guess you it doesn't matter if you've got a 242 or a 231, you go uh, part-time or full-time? Well, if I if I had full-time and I was just driving down the road uh, in, in snow, I, w- I would use full-time instead of, a, instead of part-time, you know, locking the uh, axles together. Right. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry about that tire pressure thing that I was talking about. But uh, uh, I don't have full-time, you know, and, and so uh, that's how I compensate. And, and I... When I was driving back and forth between here and Washington State, uh, there was one time I drove uh, uh, about oh close to 500 miles in the snow, and uh, and it was cold and snowing, and and uh, that's just the way it was. It was a long trip, but uh, and I used to drive on ice a lot coming down and and so forth, and, and the roads in eastern Oregon will stay iced. Three or four months of the year. My gosh, that's a long time to learn how to d- uh, to drive on the ice. I bet you there's a lot of accidents. Not too bad. Um, uh, the roads are pretty straight out there, and they put pumice on the roads. But you can still get yourself in trouble real fast if you quit respecting it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a very attentive 500 miles. To, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stress being watching exactly what you're doing. Yeah, no sleeping. <laughs> I can't just put it on autopilot and <laughs> and take a two thousand foot nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, wow, uh, that would be an interesting interesting thing. Uh, you know, of course, I'm down here in South Texas, and I've seen uh, snow three times in my life, and it was all in 1973 and 1974. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's it's interesting to me, and that's one of the reasons why I'm asking these questions. And also, too, with all the snow and ice that's going on, going on across the country right now, I figure if if people don't already know, this might be good information for them to have about uh, driving their Jeeps out in the snow and the ice. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's just something I learned to do when I was, I mean, I drove miles and miles and miles in the snow. Uh, a lot of times uh, I'd be driving over Donner Pass, which is up over 7,000 feet, uh, in the snow, and uh, I did it every weekend when I was in community college because I'd go back up to the lake to work because mm-hmm. that's where my job was. So, uh, uh, and I couldn't get one that would pay as much down in the valley, so I, <laughs> I stuck with it. So, do you have to drive slower in the snow and the ice, or do you get uh, get a good feel for it and drive, you know, fifty, sixty miles an hour? Well, that depends uh, on a number of things. Uh, if if I was in Eastern Oregon where the road there's pumice on the road, yeah, I would drive fifty or sixty uh, without a problem, uh, paying good attention, of course, to what I was doing. Right. Uh, don't do anything suddenly. Uh, good fresh dry snow um, with with nothing done to it, fifty or sixty is not bad if you have good tires with lots of sipes in them and so forth. But if it's a slush or uh, 
hard-packed ice with nothing on it, uh, that kind of thing, you better believe I'm slowing down. Are we talking and, uh, 30, 40 miles an hour, or just depends? Well, you'd be slow. Well, I, yeah, I feel it out. Uh, you know, I, I kind of push it up to where I feel like uh, it might be getting a wee bit squirrely or something, and then I back off. So it's like what we would do down here in the rain. If it feels like it's uh, starting to get a little wiggly because it's hydroplaning, you back off a little bit. Yeah, that's true. And, and another thing is is that generally there's two tracks that have ice in it. And the uh, the crown in the center and the and over by the shoulder will usually have snow that uh, is uh, will give you more traction because nobody's really been driving on it. Yeah, that makes sense. And and so what I do is I just put my tires on that fresher snow and stay off of that ice and uh, uh you know, and, and pay good attention to what you're doing, and then you can travel a little faster and, and much safer than you can on that ice. Interesting. So it doesn't sound like it's that much different than what we do here. It's just, I guess the environment would be a lot different, and uh, it would be scary at first not having experienced it. But it sounds like it would still be a lot of fun, especially if you're successful. Yeah, well, I well I have to tell you that I'm really tense when I do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm paying, paying close attention. It is not for me like driving on pavement at all no no i'm sure um after i've spun my jeep I, my driving in the rain isn't nearly as fun as it used to be i've gotten back pretty good but there, after spinning it and and going through the the pain of the pocketbook and also to the pain of seeing my beautiful jeep uh, crunched like that i did not want to experience that again no you don't the spin was fun <laughs> <laughs> it's the hitting well, something the- <laughs> Yeah, one of the things that I would add is is that, you know, the newer vehicles now that you get with all this automatic stuff, you know, computer-controlled traction aids and, and all this stuff, uh, you can drive them faster in the snow than I would drive my XJ. But the problem is is that once those break loose, there's nothing that will save you. Wow. If I, if I break loose in the XJ, I have options. I can I can back off on the gas, you know, I can turn the wheel if I need to and, and, and that type of thing and, and I can straighten it out right. and, and I don't go around in circles that way I just straighten it out and, and say okay we're going to drive a little slower now mm. so but the, with the computer controlled stuff they, they got, it's like a, a diode you get to a certain point and then you got the zener knee and it just, it just goes to hell in a handbasket that's right and they end up in the snowbank wow Mm, that sounds kind of iffy to me. I mean, it sounds nice from the standpoint of, you know, the computer's handling it for you, but when it gets out of the parameters, boy, I, yeah, I can see yeah. well, that would not be a good thing. Well, it's one of those things where you can have a lot of confidence to want to try to do 70 or 80 miles an hour in the snow, and believe me, a lot of people from the flatlands down here do that. That's amazing. And they, and, and they get away with it until it breaks loose, and then they're done. And, uh, uh, whereas, you know, I'm, I feel like getting a little squirrely. I back off and I don't care if those idiots pass me. Right. No, I don't blame you. That's what I'm trying to teach my kids is it doesn't matter what they're, what they're doing behind you. You need to drive the vehicle because you're the pilot in command. You're the one that's going to have to, to deal with the consequences of whatever happens to you in that vehicle. So you drive the way you feel is safe and, you know, you get in the right hand lane 
If you got to get in the left-hand lane because that's where you feel safer, then that's fine. But if you can, get in the right-hand lane, let the people going by you go by. But you can't drive faster than what you feel comfortable doing. Well, you don't want to get in the left-hand lane and go slow down here. No, I know, but if there's something <laughs> if there's something wrong with the right-hand lane and you got to be in the left-hand lane, then sorry, that's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one of the things that I always do in uh, when I get somebody on the phone, I'll uh, ask them, uh, what do you love or what do you hate about XJ Talk? Oh, well, one one thing I really like about XJ Talk was that uh, uh, there's no uh, no flaming or any of that kind of nonsense. Um, you know, everything is is kept uh, low key and, and and it's more like a a community. Um, I'm been on Naxja. I haven't been there for a while, but not quite as friendly there. Um, I just I don't even go to Pirate. Um, anything I need to know there, I if I can be conceited, I figure I already know. <laughs> but uh, I don't have time for any flaming and stuff like that. And 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 I've been on some other forums where I've been flamed, and I just you know just don't have much tolerance for that. So, uh, I, I personally don't understand it. So, well, when you when you get out on the trails, uh, I don't know about any place else, but around here, um, it, the the testosterone is about knee deep. You know, everybody's trying to take impossible lines so that they can be, uh, you know, the, the the big guy or whatever you know is going through their mind, and uh, you know we've had incidences up here there's been some fighting and all kinds of stuff uh, perpetrated by some college kids that haven't grown up yet and so forth and and you know i just don't have much tolerance for that kind of thing i just go out to wheel to have fun and if i'm on a forum i'm there to have fun i'm i'm not there to to uh try to behave like a tough guy with behind the security of my screen yeah exactly Oh, one thing I did uh, neglect to mention, um, uh, Steve is a moderator on xjtalk.com and also a, a very big help when answering questions uh, for everybody on the uh, on the site. And Steve, I want to thank you for that. I obviously, thank you for being a member on XJ Talk. And uh, it's, I'm sure that uh, you being there is a, uh, a large part of the, the growth that we've experienced. And um, I know I and I'm sure others really appreciate it. Thank you. So, uh, Steve and I have already spoken about doing multiple interviews because we haven't even scratched on the the surface of um, the things that he knows about, uh, and certainly none of the mods that he's made on his Jeep. So, uh, Steve has committed to uh, future interviews. So, this won't be the last one, and we've got, uh, I'm sure, a lot of uh, very interesting mods and interesting stories that will be coming up in the future. Steve, I want to thank you again, and uh, was there anything that you'd like to add before we go? Well, I can't think of anything, except that uh, it's been a pleasure to be on the forum. Well, great. Thank you very much. And uh, with that, we'll uh, start taking questions here in just a moment. Okay. I'll be on the chat room. And there you have it. <clears throat> that was a very nice interview with Steve. It's uh, it's a lot of fun because uh, 
I get to uh, ask a lot of questions and um, hear about people's uh, experiences and um, things that I've never known. I mean, Steve's been on the, the website for, gosh, six, seven, eight months, a year, longer. And there was uh, stuff I found out that I had no idea. So uh, this has uh, been personally very informative. So I hope, hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. <clears throat> let me uh, let me get a couple of things out of the way here. Did you know that xjtalk.com is on Facebook? Just go to facebook.com slash xjtalk and friend us. We're also on Twitter, twitter.com slash xjtalk. Are you interested in being a guest on XJ Talk? Well, you can contact me via email, tony at xjtalk.com. That's tony at xjtalk.com. This segment brought to you by DetoursUSA.com. Ten years of innovating, not imitating XJ products. Check out www.detoursusa.com. And Detours wants to remind everyone to practice safe sex. No pig borking till you wrap that rascal. I just wanted to say XJ Talk is the best fucking site in the fucking world. And if you think you know of a better fucking site, fuck you. By the way, this is Big Jim 350. Bye. <laughs> I love that. Well, let's see if uh, see if Steve's still with us. Steve, you still there? I'm here. Excellent. So uh, hopefully you were able to hear the interview. Okay. Yeah, I heard it just fine. Were you uh, Were you in the chat room seeing the colorful comments? Uh, I just uh, put the uh, podcast chat room on just now. Oh, that makes um, sense. That's right, because the, the same reason I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the broadcast because of uh, how you pay for your internet. Yeah, well, uh, I just got it figured out just now that I needed to have both of those chat rooms up, <laughs> so I did. Yeah, I mean, you can have the uh, the chat room up on XJ Talk, but um, as far as the show goes, you can get right here on um, on the uh, the Ustream broadcast, and that that's the most uh, critical one during the live show anyway, the way I look at it. So guys, uh, Steve's on the phone. We're live. Uh, that means I'm talking and moving in synchronization with my lips, and Steve's, uh, like I said, on the phone, so he can hear you. Uh, I'm sorry, he can read what you're saying, and... Uh, if you have any questions for Steve from the uh, from the interview, um, maybe something that wasn't covered in the interview, go right ahead. Type them in. I see that uh, Lizard Runner has joined and Blue Dragon has joined. Okay, how many extremes have I driven on and in? Um, I mean on. As far as terrain goes, uh, I've done it all. Uh, I've been on rocks tonight. In fact, I was on. I was wheeling the uh, Fort Ice Creek Trail, which is quite famous now. Uh, uh, before it was ever named the Fort Ice Creek Trail, it used to be known as the Paris and Grant Wagon Road. And uh, I was working in the area when I was 19, and so after work. Uh, Instead of hiking on it, I went wheeling on it and uh, uh, never got up to the top because I always ran out of daylight. But uh, I uh, have done the rocks. Uh, I love sand. Uh, had a great time always at the Oregon coast. Did a lot of mud in western Oregon. 
a lot of snow, always been a lot of snow around someplace where I've lived. And uh, uh, basically I've done it all. I think the rocks would be a lot of fun. The thing that, that uh, terrifies me the most about it is rolling the Jeep. And I'm not concerned so much that I would be injured. I just don't want to total the vehicle. That's right. I don't want to hurt my Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, heal. <laughs> well, the thing about rocks is is that um, if if you just have a, like a, a, I had a clutch at the time. I was using the Bronco. It had a two-to-one uh drop in the transfer case and uh, 350 gears in the rear end. I'm going to tell you, I had a sore left leg, and, and that poor clutch was pretty wore out, I think, when I got done, or at least a lot of it was, was gone. It was a lot of hard work, and uh, now there's automatic transmissions and so forth. And My opinion of that is, is that equipment makes all the difference between doing a lot of work and taking a lot of punishment and, and having a good time. Yeah, I'm sure it makes the uh, <clears throat> makes it a lot more enjoyable when you don't have to, when you can just enjoy the the accomplishment uh, of getting up or over something. And uh, this kind of dovetails into the question that Detours just asked: transmission behind the 4.3, and is do you use an adapter on it? Yeah, I've got uh, 4L60E uh, that I rebuilt. It's got all the heavy stuff in it, and it's got an advanced adapters uh, tail shaft and uh, housing on the back of it so that I can put uh, anything with the 6-bolt uh, pattern, any transfer case with a 6-bolt pattern on it. Had a 231 on the back of it for quite a while and uh, started making good money, and I said, well, I can afford something better, so I, I got the Atlas. Yeah, that Atlas uh, really stood out when I saw the picture of that. I, uh, I knew that wasn't a... Uh wasn't a new process, new venture, uh, 231 or, or 242. I knew that much when I saw it. Yeah, it's a much bigger case. It takes up more room. Mm-hmm. Was that, uh, I think I asked you this on the post, but uh, was that very difficult to uh, to make room to install it and get the, the shifter through the floor and still have a place to sit? Oh, well, I, uh, I lucked out on that. I uh, did a little homework before I uh, bought the... Uh, transfer case, uh, the Atlas 4-speed is not supposed to fit in a behind an AW4 and a 4-liter because uh, you have to uh, do a lot of work on the floorboard and the seat pedestal on the driver's side and so forth. Um, but I was fortunate in the fact that by putting the V6 in, I had to move the engine and transmission forward a little bit and also the... Uh, the Chevy transmission is four inches shorter than the AW4, so it worked out just right. I I just had to dimple the floorboard a little bit under the seat, and you can't even see it, uh, and then it fit just like it was supposed to. If you were going to put a, a multi-speed uh, transfer case in to an XJ, uh, the one to use would be a stack. It would fit a lot better. And as far as the uh, the linkage goes, uh, I just made it fit. It took me, I don't know, it took me at least a week to uh, to make that linkage fit right and so forth. And so it, it fits exactly in the console, and I haven't had to uh, alter the uh, uh, floorboard or the transmission tunnel at all for it. And it fits the console like it's supposed to, and, and it looks real clean. And, and it's always a conversation piece. I bet. 
<clears throat> I see they're complaining uh, in the uh, chat room that the, um, the I guess the video and the audio is glitchy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was just gonna, I was just ta uh, typing in the chat room. Uh, we were under the website was under attack earlier today, and it may still, it may still be. So that's going to be affecting the um, the bandwidth on that we're using to send this to UStream and. Yes, it should not affect the um, it should not affect the um, the podcast at all because that's all local. So if you're having problems with the show now, then you'll uh, you shouldn't have any problem hearing the uh, hearing the podcast. And uh, just so everybody uh, knows, the podcast is available on iTunes and on uh, <coughs> excuse me HTTP podcasts with a plural s xjtalk.com and you can find it uh, from the website as well just from the nav bar there's a um, the word podcast is up there and you can click on that and it'll take you to the podcast page I see Wayne came back <clears throat> so is there uh, is there yeah well I don't know it's, some people aren't having problems uh, Lizard Runner says it's just fine Big Jim clear 3G here uh, Jim are you watching the show on your uh, on your smartphone Jim types with his elbows, so it takes a, uh, just a bit for him to, to respond back. <laughs> Steve, I don't know. Uh, I suspect that you'll, you'll have an idea on, on this question, but this is actually a question that uh, Weldman sent in uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was uh, when I was speaking to him on the phone the other day, it was uh, actually kind of interesting. It was a question that I had based on seeing an episode of Extreme 4x4 where they were using uh, this item. And let me, uh, let me play this and let's see if uh, maybe we can't help him out. Hey, this is Weldman. My first name is Kurt. My question is, does anybody know if the U-joint front axles are compatible with the CV-joint axle shafts? Because that would just make life a whole lot easier due to the fact that they're, you know, sealed um, and tend to have a bit more flexibility and you don't get in cornering. So that's my question. Thanks. Bye. Cool sight. That last part was cool sight. <laughs> he kind of snuck that one in there. Thank you very I, much. I, uh, thank you very much for calling uh, and on the, the voicemail, Waldman, and, and leaving a um, leaving a question. So, so I don't know. Were you able to hear that okay, Steve? Well, I missed a little bit of it. He talked about U-joint front axle shafts. Yeah, he's talking about using CV joints instead of the traditional um, universal joint um, on the yeah. on the shafts. Can can you use the axles with the CV joints on? I would assume the Weldman. I guess that would be the Dana Thirty that you were asking about. Okay, the answer to that is assuming that he's asking about any axle. Is okay. Yes. Um, in fact. Uh, uh, the uh, the full time uh, uh, four wheel drive in the early XJs like mine used a CV joint on the front axle. It was kind of a weak joint, and the axle shaft was kind of weak, but it was a CV joint. And one of the benefits that you have with a CV joint is that when you make a hard uh, uh, turn in four wheel drive when you're locked up, you don't get that wheel steering wheel jerking back and forth every time the axle shaft turns over. 
uh, it makes it much more smooth, and that's why that joint was designed in the first place, was to eliminate that. That's actually one of the things he was trying to get across to me on the phone the other day, and I thought that uh, that hopping motion was actually what occurred whenever you had the the front and rear drive shaft locked together um, in uh, uh, part-time mode. Because it does, and uh, it, it's due to the stress on the axle, and the, when you... When you turn one U-joint, when you just go through one U-joint and you don't have a corresponding joint in the, on the other end that's set up at the same angle, um, there's actually a change in velocity, mm-hmm. the uh, shaft, and it doesn't seem like it should be, but there is. Tom Woods has it all figured out on his website, so I'm taking his word for it. But that causes the, uh, the front wheel to want to... Uh, change speeds, and when it does, it 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 has to something has to give, and so it's the steering wheel in your hand that does from the change in velocity. And the uh, the CV joint or or Rezepa, uh was the guy that invented it um, was designed to eliminate that, and and it's an old joint. It goes back to uh, World War II and and so forth. And in fact, my uh, mighty might. Um, has those CV-type joints in the front uh, because it has a front axle that's engaged all the time, and it's very smooth. You don't even realize uh, that you're in a hard turn or anything with with those CV joints in there. So uh, I guess the thing that I, when I saw them using on Extreme 4x4, I was thinking to myself, well, my gosh, why isn't everybody using this? And then I got to thinking about it and went, wait a minute. I think the Grand Cherokees use CV joints. The CV joints are used in front-wheel drive uh, vehicles, and yada yada yada. So why are we why are we using uh, universal joints uh, on our axles? One word: cheaper. Ah, I thought it was stronger. Well, uh, the uh, the CV joints have gotten a bad rap for being weak, uh, simply because they don't put enough metal in them. If you uh, get a, a CV joint from Bobby Longfield, for instance, that uh, would be about the same size as what you would put in our Dana 30s, and in fact uh, will fit in inside of the uh, knuckle on a Toyota uh, pickup uh, front axle, uh, those CV joints are as strong as the Dana 60 crosses. My goodness. And they actually destruct it at like just a slightly higher torque than a uh, than a stock Dana 60. My goodness. I bet you they're pricey. <clears throat> yeah, they're pricey, but uh, they're well worth it. You can run a, a nice, small, light axle that has the same strength as a Dana 60 without any problem, and you can run larger tires and never have any problems. So what all do you have to change on a Dana 30 if you want to run uh, a good, strong, equally strong uh, as the... Uh, U-joint uh, axle? Uh, if you're going to go to the CV, you don't have to change anything. Uh, I think it's uh, RCV has a kit that you can uh, buy. It's an axle shaft where you just pull your old shaft out, you throw this one in, you bolt it all together, and you got it. That sounds like a sweet deal. It is. It ain't cheap. But uh, if you're having trouble with uh, U-joint crosses, uh, and so forth, 
uh, and and they're not very strong when you're in a sharp turn. That's when they fail. Right. These uh, uh, CB joints will take the torque in a turn, and so they can be worth their weight in gold eventually if you break enough axle shafts. Sure. Well, and depending on how much time you like spending on the trail working on your rig. Well, Weldman, uh, there you go. It sounds like that you were dead on with what you were thinking about the CV joint uh, being um, a better all-around um, solution to letting the axle, the wheels on the axle, turn left or right. Okay, Weldman has another question on this. It's related. He says, will the CV pass through the bearing hole? And the answer is no. You have to pull the knuckle. I'm trying to I'm trying to picture that. I remember changing the trying to remember when I changed the wheel bearing assembly. Yeah, normally on a on a Dana thirty, uh late model Dana thirty, what you do is you just pull the unit bearing out and then you can pull the axle shaft with it. Right. And the whole thing will come out right in your hand. But right. the the R C V kit, because it's physically fatter and there's more metal in it and and it's so much stronger. You have to uh, take the nuts off of the uh, ball joints and whack it with a hammer and and pull the steering knuckle off and then slip the axle shaft in. My goodness. But it's not that big a deal. It only takes another 20 minutes at the most. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, excellent. Was there, uh, we're, we're running over. Uh, we're about uh, 10 minutes over right now, but uh, some good information. Uh, anybody else have any other questions? For Steve. Mark says, or Detour says, uh, we talk in stock. Was that for us, uh, Mark? I don't know. He's not saying. Mark says, thank you, Steve. <laughs> You're welcome, Mark. Well, that was a, that was a very good question. Uh, I think that's probably one of our better questions that we've had on the voicemail. And um, you guys uh, should call in on the voicemail and either leave a um, colorful message like Jim doesn't remember doing uh, or uh, a question like um, what uh, Kurt Weldman uh, sent us uh not, well, gosh, probably two and a half weeks ago. So here's the information for uh, calling in. And it's uh, it's a 24 hours a day, seven days a week voicemail. Nobody's going to call. My wife's not going to pick up the phone and go, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have picked that up. It's just voicemail. So you don't have to worry about somebody uh, picking up on you. Do you have questions or comments that you would like played on the air? We've set up voicemail just for that purpose. All you have to do is call 530 675 4102. Just leave your name, your location, and your question or comment. Chances are good it'll get played on the air. That number again is 530-675-4102. We look forward to hearing from you today. Well, we'll just check here on the, uh, the chat room here one more time. Make sure there's not uh, another question floating around. Tony was wanting to know what you meant by stock. 
I don't know. Nope, I don't know. Okie dokie. Uh, Steve, was there anything that you wanted to add? I mean, that was a good uh, 40 minutes uh, plus of talking, so you probably covered everything. Uh, I, I don't, unless we missed a question, some of those posts were coming in kind of quick, and I, I don't know if I questioned Yeah, I think Steve. we caught it. You were kind of chopping. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just sort of seeing if I missed something here. Okay. Um, uh, Lizard Runner had a question. Go ahead, Lizard. Go ahead. We can uh, we can run this thing longer. Okay. Uh, he asked, uh, would LS limited slip differential LS, be a better choice for wheeling in sand, mud, snow, and occasional rock environments as opposed to lockers? And uh, and that's that's a relativistic question, kind of. Um, I've used limited slips for years, and uh, there are some types of limited slips that you can uh, increase the uh, torque on them, or the bias between the axles. And uh, and I used them quite effectively in uh, in sand and mud and in snow, and with no problem. But if you get them into rocks what can happen is that they don't have enough torque to do what you want to do and you can start spinning a wheel and uh, you can burn up a set of clutches in one. So uh, the answer is, yeah, uh, sand, mud, and snow, they're really good and, and many times just as effective as a locker. And uh, rocks, uh, you got to kind of watch it because you can, uh, you can wreck the clutches in one. That's interesting. So, um, would a locker be an all-around, uh, a mechanical locker be an all-around good thing? Or would a um, limited slip be better in some cases? Because I, I think what I just heard you say was in, in sand and mud, it would be better. Uh, yeah, in sand, um, I prefer uh, having a limited slip over a locker uh, because... Uh, it does allow you to turn, but it gives you just enough of a, uh, of a uh, traction aid so that your wheels are pretty much going the same speed. Um, in, in mud, you don't really have to have a locker. If, if you're really in mud, uh, most of the time your wheels are slipping anyway, and it doesn't take much to keep them going the same speed either. Um, in snow, um, I would many times prefer a limited slip just for turning reasons so that I can turn and right. still have, have good traction. So, uh, but like I say, you start getting into rocks and, and you really need a locker or something like a, uh, uh, Detroit true track, which has like a, uh, 70% lockup rate on it. And, uh, and it doesn't have clutches in it to, uh, burn up. Wildman says, uh, what degree do you run your rear axle at, or drive angle? Drive angle? Um, I have a CV joint coming off the back of the transfer case, so I've got a, a, a straight shot right into the uh, pinion. So I don't 
know exactly what degree it is because I never measured it. I just put the hydraulic jack under it, held the drive line up, and when it looked straight, that's when I stopped. And then I measured it and went down and got myself a four-degree shim and stuck it in. So, uh, uh, but what exact angle it is right now, I can't tell you. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't think it was on the uh, the interview. I think after we got off the uh, got done with the interview, we were talking about that, and um, you had said that you've done it so much now, you you don't have to actually measure the the drive shaft or the drive angle. You can just uh, eyeball it and get it right. Yeah, on those I can. I don't have to to measure for for the CV joints. I just like I say, I just stick a hydraulic jack under it and start pumping it until it looks just right and and uh, take it before and after measurement, and then I know what kind of shim, shim to get, and then I just go get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that simple. The uh, the procedure, though, for a a, uh, a non-CV drive line, though, is a little different, and uh, you really need an angle finder for that. And so many times on forums, everybody says, oh, drop the transfer case, try a two-degree shim or a four-degree shim or whatever, and, and that's just throwing parts at it. Um, the thing that you really need to do is to measure the angle on the back of the transfer case. And you can use the the uh, fill nut on there. It's a machine surface, and you can just stick the angle finder on there and measure that, and then measure the pinion angle. Take the drive shaft loose and, and measure the angle on the pinion. And what you need to do is to make those two angles as close as possible. And if you have to go buy a shim, then you just need to do a little subtraction first and, and subtract one number from the other, and that's what degree shim you need. And it's not hard, but when you start uh, doing things like putting aftermarket springs on, they're all different. There's no rule of thumb. Uh, and if you put a shackle on, uh, one rule of thumb, I sat down and figured it out with my high school geometry here. Every time you drop the back of that spring an inch, uh, then you change the pinion angle by one degree. So if you have a four-inch longer shackle, you've changed your pinion angle by four degrees, and I can just about guarantee you it will vibrate. And you will have to change the uh, uh, pinion angle accordingly so that it won't. And that's how you do it. You just have to get the angle finder, pay the 10 bucks, and, and do a little basic arithmetic. Uh, Big Jim 350 says, I have a 4-degree shim in mind with a non-CV and SYE, so no SYE, and everybody said it would blow U-joints, and it hasn't. Well, not necessarily. Um, I ran around with 5 inches of lift in the rear for a long time on a stock drive shaft uh, without any problem at all. If I went to 6, I had a problem because uh, it it wouldn't uh, take the bend up by the slip yoke. But you can get a, uh, a YJ uh, slip yoke, which will fit right into our 231s uh, with no problem, and it is made to take a steeper angle. And so you can do that and not have to buy a, a slip yoke and eliminator, I'll spit that out, <laughs> or a CV drive shaft if you want. Well, uh, I don't know if you recall, Jim is uh, at 6.5, a a, a rough country 6.5-inch lift. Okay. No, I didn't recall. But if I had a YJ slip yoke, I could run a uh, uh, a stock shaft on six and a half inches. 
without any problem at all. Okay. Uh, Weldman says, uh, does the transfer case drop spacer increase st- stress on the front shaft? It doesn't increase stress. Uh, what it does is it increases the angle at the uh, uh, at the CV. So theoretically, you're going to get a little bit more wear there on the uh, CV uh, joint on that front drive shaft. But other than that, uh, there's no difference in torque or anything like that, so uh, it shouldn't hurt it. Which end of the drive shaft? Uh, up on the uh, transfer case side of it. Okay, I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little bit of vibration on mine during uh, uh, acceleration around 55 or so. I don't really notice it. It, it may be there under that lower uh, miles per hour, but I'm not. I don't notice it. But up around 55 or 60, I can I can feel it if I'm accelerating. I'll let off, and the vibration goes away. So I figured it was a U-joint. I just didn't know which one it was. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, what you kind of have to do is crawl underneath and start wiggling things around. Look for uh, signs of a dry joint. Look for signs of any red dust uh, mm-hmm. around the seals. Right. Uh, if you find any red dust, it's that one, guaranteed. Well, now that I've <clears throat> learned that uh, I just go to O'Reilly's and rent their uh, big-ass C-clamp, uh, changing the uh, U-joints is pretty simple. Uh, yeah. Boy, it was a bear changing the axle uh, U-joints on that Dana 30, but I was using a hammer, same way I used to do it a long time ago when I was changing U-joints out in my uh, Pontiac Ventura. Uh, use one hammer or two? One hammer, and I, I think I literally beat on that one U-joint I, don't, I forget which axle it was, but I took the axle out and I beat on that U-joint literally for two hours straight, and it <laughs> w- would not come out. And when I finally found out about the that you could rent those tools uh, or borrow those tools because it's not really a rental, and I got that big C-clamp and I put that C-clamp on it, the cap literally came apart. It was so embedded in that uh, in the uh, the axle, that little hole of the axle, and it just broke apart. I didn't care because I had another one to go in it. Unfortunately, the other one didn't have a problem. Um, let's see. Weldman says, uh, is that a double cardigan, uh, cardigan on the YJ? I believe that was the... Um, oh, it's a single. The single? Okay. What was it that What was it that you called that? I forgot now. Double cardigan. Yeah, but the See, part, part, the, the part yeah. that you said to get off the YJ. Oh, it's the... It's just the YJ slip yoke. The slip yoke. Slip yoke. Okay, so it's not a double cardigan. Yeah, before they had slip yoke and eliminators and all that stuff, way back in the day when they first came out with the 231s and with YJs and so forth, uh, if you wanted to lift an XJ, uh, you didn't have a an SYE available, so what you did is you just went down and bought yourself a, uh, a YJ yoke and set your drive line up properly and everybody was happy. Just looking here at the chat room to see if there's any more questions or one that I missed. Yeah, Weldman says, I have a small vibe all the time, like a hum. You got a hum? That's what he says. A small vibration. It's like a hum all the time. I would, the time? I would, I would assume that you mean while you're rolling. Uh, right, Kurt? Not, not while you're sitting still.
Okay, I'm. Uh, he says say, yes. He says yes. Okay. O- only when he's rolling. All right. Uh, thing to check is is rear wheel bearings on that probably. Ah. If if it doesn't change with your foot on the accelerator or off, um, unfortunately, our uh, Dana thirty five axles because. Uh, you know, Chrysler was being cheap. Um, they don't have an inner race on the wheel bearing. They, the, the rollers ride on the axle. And I've got one of those, too. It makes noise um, just because of wear. And there's nothing you can do about it except replace the axle. Or you can just put up with it. But that's probably it, uh, just guessing from your description. Now, if it changes, uh, say it you only get that hum under acceleration, and and uh, and you don't get it when you let off of the gas, or if you're braking, then uh, that's in the differential generally. That's the difference between the two. Could the uh, problem that I'm experiencing be a differential problem? No, it shouldn't. If you're getting a vibration, something's uh, not balanced right. You know, it's. Uh, you may be losing a U-joint, and, and that's one of the telltale signs is that you'll get on it, let's say, and, and you'll get a little bit of a vibration. Mm-hmm. Okay. You squeal. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Sometimes, but not all the time. Right. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> yeah, it is. If it was easy, Cher, Cher would be able to do it. Um, there we go. Oh, also too, Wellman, uh, if you, I don't know if it would be a doable thing or not, certainly don't want you to do something that would uh, put you at danger, uh, but uh, you can always take a, um, a video and perhaps capture the, the sound. Um, and often, oftentimes, too, when we experience something, we are busy with, you know, listening to the radio or thinking about what it could be, and we don't actually record exactly what the sound is uh, in our mind we don't record it exactly or uh, we don't think about when it's really happening so sometimes when you record it and you can play it back whenever you're not busy driving the vehicle it's even a help as a diagnostic tool so if you've got a camera on your cell phone and video capabilities you could uh, try doing a video and maybe capture the sound and uh, or even describe it while you're driving and then when you're when you're uh not focused on the driving part, you can go back and, and, and listen to it, and you could always post it up on XJ Talk, and we could help you there. Okay, uh, Weldman uh, has another comment. It says it didn't do it until after his lift. Um, I'll tell you what I would do um, is, is I'd take my significant other. They always have great ears for rattles and things. <laughs> yes. Critical. Uh, but I, I'd just put her in the back and have her listen. And see where it's coming from, see if it's coming from one side or the other or in the middle or or if it's even coming from the back. It might be coming, you know, you might be getting some noise from the yoke coming off the transfer case or something, but uh, that does a lot of uh, uh, good as far as pinpointing things, just making sure where it's coming from. I mean, as far as diagnosing. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, so, you know, put your sweetheart to work. Tell her ahead of time why she's getting in the back seat so you don't disappoint her. <laughs> yeah, don't tell her you don't want to be seen with her or anything. <laughs> All 
right, guys. That's a uh, we're coming up on the hour and a half uh, on the show, and uh, that's uh, that's about long enough. I think uh, we've had lots of people drop out, but we had uh, lots of good questions here over the last fifteen uh, twenty minutes. So uh, didn't want to leave anybody hanging. Um, and uh, like I said, Steve has already uh, promised he'll come back, and uh, we can get into some more. <laughs> we can get into some more technical stuff. Weldman says she's listening. Too funny. <laughs> well, Steve, I'll give it back to you again. Is there uh, anything that you wanted to cover or anything that maybe you saw in the chat room that uh, that I missed? I think you probably got it. Okay, guys, thanks very much. It was uh, It's always a lot of fun. I appreciate everybody coming in and getting in the chat room. Uh, thank you for our guests. I think we had... Uh, seven or eight guests tonight and uh, you guys uh, need to get a uh, Ustream account set up so that you can get in the chat room, ask questions, cut up with the rest of us. This uh, Again, this is uh, the song that Tom Rapp did today and uh, sent over to me and I was uh, very surprised because uh, the way he, he uh, portrayed it to me, it was like a, uh, a half afterthought for him putting it together. Very talented individual. His, uh, his site is uh, Tom Rapp Show. That's two P's. Tom, R-A-P-P, show.com. And uh, you should check it out. He's got some very interesting stories on there. Things uh, that he's... Uh, Songs that he's written for um, Allison Rosen, who is actually now uh, the new news girl on the Adam Carolla podcast. A lot of Adam Carolla show, podcast, it kind of goes back and forth. And uh, since she's been on there, I've been listening to that, and it's some pretty funny stuff. A lot of blue language um, and several of the other colors in the rainbow. Uh, but it's, uh, it's quite funny, and uh, give that a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. So, guys, thank you again, and uh, remember, next week, uh, same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs>